Hello, and welcome to the Kiskea Chapel Sermon Podcast. Kiskea Chapel is an international church in Port-au-Prince, Haiti, where we equip English-speaking believers to expand God's kingdom in our community and beyond. For more information about Kiskea Chapel, you can visit us on our website at kiskeachapel.org. We hope you enjoy this message. Mark chapter 9. One of the passages that some of you have been reading this week tells the story of what we call the transfiguration. Jesus turns into something that they were not expecting. Here's what it says. Six days later, verse 2, it says, six days later, Jesus took Peter, James, and John and led them up a high mountain to be alone. As the men watched, Jesus' appearance was transformed and his clothes became dazzling white, far whiter than any earthly bleach could ever make them. Then Elijah and Moses appeared and began talking with Jesus. Peter exclaimed, Rabbi, it's wonderful for us to be here. Let's make three shelters as memorials, one for you, one for Moses, one for Elijah. He said this because he didn't really know what else to say, for they were all terrified. (laughs) Then a cloud overshadowed them, and a voice from the cloud said, this is my beloved son. Listen to him. Suddenly, when they looked around, Moses and Elijah were gone, and they saw only Jesus with them. When I was a younger man, uh, this tells you how old I am, when computers first started coming out, I couldn't get the concept of the difference between RAM and ROM. Anybody still struggling with that? I I just couldn't quite get it. They'd say, well, how much RAM do you have? I go, okay, is that the same as ROM? Random access (laughs) uh, memory versus read-only memory. I'm like, I don't understand the concept. I love it when somebody can take a complex thing and simplify it. Sometimes simplifying things can be really helpful, can't it? So I had a professor who said to me, okay, this is not accurate, but it'll help you understand. (laughs) I said, okay, you're gonna tell the dumb guy how to understand this. And he said, right, your ROM, your memory is like the file cabinet, how big a file cabinet you have. The RAM is each of the individual folders in the file cabinet. And I went, okay, that helped me. Doesn't it help you sometimes when uh, a teacher can simplify something for you? (laughs) Where you go like, I I, I know I can get this, but I, I don't understand the language you're using. I just feel dumb. So simplifying can be a really good thing. Sometimes that's what we need. We need somebody to simplify things for us. But that can go too far. Do you know the word oversimplification? It means to make something that's very complex way too simple so that you stop having an actual understanding. In fact, Webster's Dictionary says that oversimplification is this idea that we can take a complex subject and so oversimplify it that it actually distorts the truth and it causes error. There are few things worse than oversimplification. Let me give you some examples. Uh, 
All right, there's, uh, let, well, let's see, Wawa's over here, okay? There's Wawa, and I say, Wawa, Papa Doc Duvalier. They're both Haitians. Oversimplification, right? It's like, yeah, no, not the same. I hope, I hope, I hope. <laughs> not the same thing. But oversimplification just has one category. It says, well, they're both Haitians, must be the same thing. Same thing we could do if we said Abraham Lincoln, one of America's greatest presidents, and the current president of Haiti. I don't know anything about it. He maybe, maybe he's okay. But I know not the same thing. They're both politicians, not the same thing. There's a difference there. Same thing, I could take a piece of complex art, maybe Rembrandt was the greatest painter in all of human history, and I could show you a Rembrandt, and then I could take somebody's tattoo of their baby on their forearm, and I could say, they're both art. You go, no, that's an oversimplification, not the same thing, not the same thing, unless Rembrandt maybe did it. <laughs> But this is a common mistake we make. We oversimplify things. We take complex things and we boil them down too simple and so it distorts it and we get an error. We don't really understand the reality there. This is why the God of the Bible so hates idolatry. Because idolatry is a gross oversimplification of who God is. It's very common for people today, particularly uh, where I come from in the States, it's very common for people to say, oh, well, you know, all gods are the same. They worship this and you worship that. You call him Jesus, we call him Krishna, blah, blah, blah. And I go, no, 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 this is a gross oversimplification. The fact that there are people somewhere on the planet that worship you does not make it true. Not the same thing. That's why God hates idolatry. Think with me for a second about Exodus chapter 20. Moses goes up on the mountain and God says, I'm gonna give you 10 commands. Think about that. The God of the universe is saying, let me simplify my law and just give you these 10. Anybody remember number one? No idols, no gods before me. How about number two? Don't make an image of me. Don't make a carving of me. Think about that for a second. God has a top 10. Here's the 10 things I'm gonna simplify the law for you. Number one and number two both have to do with idolatry. Number one, don't have any other gods before me, okay? In other words, don't take a bunch of human stuff and exalt it to my level. That's oversimplification. Yes, Gandhi may be a heroic figure, but don't put him on my level. That's oversimplification. And then the second one, he says, don't make any images. In other words, don't bring me down to the human level. Okay? So, Commandment number one is don't try and exalt human things up to God's level. Commandment number two is don't take me and compare me to a bunch of human stuff like wooden carvings or golden idols or nature. I created nature, not the same thing. 
Not the same thing. The book of Isaiah, I love the way Isaiah puts this. Sometimes we read the Bible and we don't get how funny it is. But Isaiah in his day, he's making fun of people who worship idols. Listen to how he puts it. Isaiah chapter 40, beginning in verse 18. With whom then will you compare God to? To what image will you liken him to? As for idols, a metal worker casts it, a goldsmith overlays it with gold and fashions some silver chains for it. A person too poor to present such an offering selects wood that won't rot. Then they look for a skilled worker to set up their idol so that it won't topple. Isaiah is saying, the, the gods you worship, you gotta prop them up. You gotta use change to tie them down or the wind will blow them over. And Isaiah said, no, 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 you've oversimplified. That's not God, that's not God, that's an idol. If it needs propping up, it's not God, Isaiah says. Don't oversimplify, don't try and take God in his immense complexity and turn him into something human or exalt something human to his level. This is why God sends his son Jesus into the world. Because we are so prone to idolatry. We, we have in America, we even have a show called American Idol. I mean, we're blatant about it. Oh yeah, this is who we're gonna idolize as though some cheesy singer could be equal to the God of the universe. Not the same thing, that's an oversimplification. No matter how good they are. Think about this, as you've been reading through the Gospel of Mark, the main theme, particularly for this first half, is who is this Jesus? Who is this? Is he a great teacher? Yes. But if that's all you see, you've oversimplified. He's much more than a great teacher. How about a miracle worker? He did some amazing miracles. Turns water into wine, heals lepers, the blind and the deaf, the demonized. He even stops the wind and the waves and tells them to be quiet. Is that who Jesus is? Yes. But to say Jesus was a miracle worker is to oversimplify. No, that doesn't define him. In fact, at one point, the religious leaders say, well, we think he's from Satan. We think he's a blasphemer. Does that define Jesus? Obviously not. Too simple. So we come to Mark chapter eight. You read this last week. Mark chapter eight, you remember? Jesus gets the disciples together and he goes, who do people say that I am? Do you remember what their answer was? Well, some th people think you're John the Baptist come back from the dead. And some people think you're Elijah, the, the Old Testament prophet that's come back, or one of the other prophets. Do you, do you hear what they're saying? Jesus, you're, 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 hum, you're kind of just like a, other great humans, John the Baptist, Moses, Elijah. 
So Peter, uh, Jesus puts the question to Peter, well, who do you say that I am? And he says, I think you're the Christ, the son of the living God. And Jesus goes, boom, you got it. You finally stopped oversimplifying me. Yes, I'm a prophet like Moses, like Elijah. Yes, I'm a miracle worker like Elijah. Yes, I'm a great teacher like Moses. But don't oversimplify me. I am more than that. I am the alpha and the omega, the beginning and the end. I am the Messiah that's been promised for thousands of years. In fact, the book of Colossians, listen to what, what Paul says to the Colossian church in 115. Jesus is the visible image of the invisible God. He existed before anything was created. He is supreme over all creation. In other words, he's saying, Colossians, don't dumb Jesus down and oversimplify him to be another just normal religious leader. No, he's not just another religious leader. He is the visible image of the invisible God. Now, the amazing thing is in the Gospel of Mark, every once in a while, both in the Old Testament and the New Testament, God says, you guys forget this quickly. You keep dumbing me down to a human level. So every once in a while, I'm gonna give you a peek, a peek of my glory. You couldn't take the real me, it'd kill you. But every once in a while, I'm gonna give you the slightest glimpse of my glory. So you'll stop comparing me to human prophets or religious leaders. I'm, I'm more than that. They don't have this glory thing. Let me give you some examples. <clears throat> Moses encounters God at the burning bush. He sees a brief glimpse, hidden glimpse of God's glory. And what's he do? He falls down like a dead man before it. Tells us again, Exodus 33, Moses goes up on the mountain. It's an amazing, read it sometimes, Exodus 33. He says, well, you know, when I bring these commandments down to people, they're gonna ask me like, who gave these to you? Who's the God that delivered these to you? Could you show me, he actually asked, could you show me your glory? And in Exodus 33, it's almost like God starts laughing. <laughs> you, you want me to show you my glory? Do you know what he says to Moses? All right, here's what I'll do. I'm gonna find a cave, the cleft of a rock, it says, and I'm gonna hide you in that cave, and then I'm gonna really quickly pass my glory by so that you can get like the slightest momentary glimpse of it, because that's all you can handle, Moses. And so the God of the universe reveals the slightest bit of his glory to Moses. And you know what Exodus tells us happens when Moses comes down the mountain because he's seen God's glory? The people are like, what the? His face is glowing so badly that it scares them to death. And they say, Moses, when you talk to us, would you mind wearing a veil over your face? We can't even take the reflection of God's glory, the little tiny bit that you got. We can't take it. So would you mind covering it up? 
when you speak to us. <laughs> the book of Isaiah tells us the same thing. Isaiah one day, Isaiah the prophet, he goes to the temple and he says all of a sudden he has a vision. He sees what? The glory of God. It fills the temple. It's like smoke, he says, and it begins rumbling. The temple can't even take it. It's shaking and rumbling. And he falls on his face like a dead man. He says, oh, God, depart. I am an unclean man of unclean lips. I can't be in your presence. I want you to notice a pattern here. Every time God reveals the slightest bit of his glory, people fall on their faces. Matthew chapter 2 tells the Christmas story. I know we think of it as this sweet, wonderful story, but actually it's kind of a terrifying story. It says that these kings from the east, they're looking all over. We've heard that a new king has been born, the king of kings. And then they follow a star over Bethlehem and they find the baby Jesus and they actually perceive some of his glory. We read the first part of the verse, which says that they gave him gifts. But you know what the other half of that verse says? They fell on their faces before him. Because they were like, oh, this is just not an ordinary king we're in the presence of. There's something different going on here. Mark chapter 3 and Mark chapter 9, you've been reading these. When Jesus encounters demons in the book of Mark, do you know what happens every single time? They fall flat on their face. Read it for yourself. Nobody else seems to be able to figure out who Jesus is, but the demons do. And so when Jesus comes and he casts them out, they fall on their faces and they begin begging, please, Jesus, have mercy on us. In fact, one of the texts says that they begin shrieking. It's painful to be in the presence of one who carries the image of the invisible God in its fullness. Go to the end of the Bible, Revelation 5 and Revelation 9. Do you know what it tells us? At one point, John's having this vision of heaven and everybody's worried because they go, we have the book of life, all those who will be saved, but nobody's worthy to open it up. We can't find anybody who can open it up. Until Revelation chapter five and it says, then we saw one who looked like a lamb who had been slain and he, was worthy. And when he opened the book, do you know what it tells us this happens? The 24 elders of heaven fell on their faces and worshiped him. I mean, they literally were like, we, we, can't, we can't be in the presence of your glory. So the book of Mark is slowly revealing who is this Jesus. About right where we're at now, they're beginning to figure it out. Oh, you're the image of the invisible God. You're not an idol. You're not some human being that we've exalted to God-like status. You are God who has come down and dwelt among us. This is a different deal. 
By the way, this is the second time, this story of the transfiguration, this is the second time that we've heard these words. Early in Mark, do you remember when Jesus was baptized? What happened? The clouds parted, a dove descends on Jesus, and they hear the voice of God using almost the exact same words. This is my son. So here we are again in Mark chapter nine at the transfiguration. And he's like, uh, guys, this is my son. Yes, Moses was a great leader. Yes, Elijah was an amazing miracle worker and a prophet of God. But when the cloud descends and the guys open their eyes, there's no more Moses and Elijah. It says Jesus was alone. And the father says, this is my son. Listen to him. Don't bring him down even to the level of Moses and Elijah. He is far greater than Moses and Elijah. <clears throat> Don't make him a great teacher. Many people, many people have tried to do that. Oh, Jesus is a really good teacher. Don't try and oversimplify him and say, well, he was a miracle worker. He did some amazing things. Don't try and oversimplify and say he was a prophet like Elijah or a leader like Moses. Yes, 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 yes. But those don't define him. And so Jesus takes the three up on the mountain. I don't know why those three. Oftentimes the gospels tell us that Jesus chose Peter, James, and John to do things with him. For whatever reason, he takes these three guys up and he reveals a little bit, just a little glimpse of his glory. So that you and I today would not make the foolish, idolatrous mistake of saying, yeah, Jesus is kind of like Allah, or he's like the spirits, the Loa and Haiti, or he's like Krishna or Vishnu or Joseph Smith or Moloch or the Dalai Lama or L. Ron Hubbard or Shang-Ti or Shiva or whatever you want. God's saying, no, 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 this alone is my beloved son. Listen to him. Don't, don't try and put him alongside all those others. And so again, Mark chapter 9 tells us this amazing story. Peter, James, and John lead up high on a mountain to be alone. And as they are watching Jesus pray, he is transformed. And then Mark I don't know, he probably got his information from Peter, who was actually there. He doesn't even know how to describe it. I love this passage because it says, yes, Jesus' clothes were whiter than any bleach could ever get them. It's like, what? Is this an advertisement for, you know, laundry detergent or something? He doesn't know how to describe what he sees. Yeah. Jesus was transformed and his clothes were whiter than any possible bleach could get them. <laughs> and then they see Jesus talking with Moses and Elijah and they're like, whoa, Jesus is a heavyweight. He's with Moses and Elijah. Now for a Jew, Moses and Elijah represented the two sections of the Old Testament. Moses the law, Elijah the prophets. 
And so they're like, whoa, Jesus is right up there with Moses and Elijah. (laughs) And then Peter, you got to read this. If you haven't read it this week, you need to read this. Peter, the fisherman, tells Jesus, the carpenter, how to build. He's like, oh, Jesus, it's a good thing I'm here. We're going to create three buildings. The first building campaign, by the way. We're going to do three buildings, one for Moses, one for Elijah, and of course, one for you. And then I love Mark's commentary here. It says Peter didn't know what he was saying. He didn't know what to say because he was scared out of his mind. So it's like, I don't know what to say, so I'm going to tell Jesus, let's build some stuff. Let's build three temples, one to Moses, one to Elijah, and one to you. A lot of us do the same thing, don't we? It's not that we don't love and worship Jesus, but we exalt other things to his level. Education, money, success, job, family, other gods. And God stops us and he goes, okay, get rid of Moses and Elijah from this picture so that they know, no, 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 no. Jesus is not an equal to Moses and Elijah. (laughs) It's Jesus alone. Jesus standing alone. And God says, so they can hear it. No, no, guys, this is my beloved son. Listen to him. Now, he's not saying Moses is bad, obviously, or Elijah is worthless. He's just saying, do not become idolaters and exalt them to the level of Jesus. They're not on the same level, guys. (laughs) And so the text says, suddenly when they looked around, Moses and Elijah were gone, and they saw only Jesus. Only Jesus. There are many nations that say they believe in Jesus, but they believe in so many other things. I believe this is true in America right now. Materialism is a God, it's an idol in that nation. Not maybe for everyone, but for so many people. When they have to choose between Jesus and money, they choose money. And God's like, no, 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 I will not honor that. That's idolatry, commandment number one and number two, I'm telling you. Don't oversimplify. Don't try and make Jesus equal to success. He's not. He's way above it. And he says the same thing to this nation. I I haven't been here long enough to answer what the idols are here. I don't know if it's the worldview of voodoo. I don't know. It seems to me that greed's about the same everywhere. I don't know. All I know is this, God will not honor a people who dumb Jesus down to a human level or try and exalt human things to God's level. He won't do it. It's not going to happen. He doesn't like oversimplification. He's like, no, 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 Jesus alone. That's why Jesus says in Matthew 6, 33, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things will be added unto you. It can't be equal, it must be first. It's why he says things to people like, if you don't hate your father, mother, brother, sister, 
In comparison to me, you can't be my disciple. You don't get it. You've oversimplified. You've taken good stuff and you've made it at the level of God and God will not tolerate that. That's idolatry. And so, again, this morning I would ask you, if those are the two ways that we create idols, by taking human things and exalting them to God's level, or taking God and dumbing him down to human level, which is true for you? What are you prone to? Again, many of us are prone to taking things, human things, and exalting them to level of God. Comfort, security, significance, a job, money. We do it even sometimes with silly celebrities. I can remember as a young man having musicians that I almost exalted to God's level. Now I look back on it and I go, that guy was a heroin addict who had his fifth wife kicked out of the house and wasn't a father. How, how could I have worshiped him? But I did because he could play guitar. You know, that's idolatry, straight and simple. And the same thing's true. I don't know who the celebrities are here that people tend to take and exalt to the level of God. God will not tolerate that. Commandment one and two say, no, no other gods before me. And don't try and turn me into one of your goofy carved images. We can do this in the church too, by the way. Uh, I've been a pastor long enough now. I've seen it many times where people exalt their church to the equal level of God. So they start worrying about, you know, how's our church doing and how's our money and all. It's like, no, 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 you don't understand. That's idolatry. Even a good thing can become an idol. It can happen with pastors. Uh, I've had people all my life, every once in a while there are people like, oh, you are a pastor, you must be a man of God. I go, no, 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 no. I am a broken sinner exactly like you. My brokenness is a little different than yours, but don't try and exalt me to some level there because it's not true. I'm in need of the grace of God just like everybody else, and if that's not true, I have no purpose being up here speaking. My job is to say, guys, I am so far from God that without his grace and mercy, I have no hope, just like you. And yet there are people who will exalt a pastor or a Christian leader to almost a God-like level. And then they get all discouraged when that person falls. Oh, we found out he was having an affair. And they're like, oh, it's like, Look, if you're disappointed by that, it means you're guilty of idolatry. You actually thought that there was some category of holy people out there who are different than the rest of us. The Bible says, no, <laughs> all men have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. There's no distinction. In fact, Paul goes off in Romans 3, he says, there is not one, and he has this long list, there's not one human being is guilty of this. At one point, Paul, uh, we're told the story in the book of Acts, uh, he's on a, a ship going to be judged in Rome, and the ship crashes. 
and they're warming themselves by the fire, and out of the fire jumps a poisonous snake that bites him. And he just pulls it off and throws it back into the fire. Nothing happens. And it says the people began to worship Paul. You know what Paul says? No, 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 stop. I'm just a man like you. There's no difference. Except I now know the one who stands alone, Jesus, who has the authority over the serpents and everything else in this universe. And you'd be smart to stop bowing down to people like me and start bowing down to God alone. God alone. It's interesting. Some people even make uh, idols of demons. We watched a show last night, it was called Evil, streaming show, and it was talking about, you know, this guy who was training to be a priest and they were going around to see who was possessed. And even though the show was pretty good, Here's the big mistake. They acted like demons had this amazing power. Read Mark again. Do you know what happens when the demons come into contact with Jesus? They start shrieking like little babies. They start begging and pleading with, please, Jesus, have mercy on us, because they know who he is. And so would we if we knew who he was. So would we. Mark 3.11 puts it this way. Whenever those who were possessed by evil spirits caught sight of Jesus, I mean literally just saw him, the spirits would throw themselves to the ground in front of him shrieking, you are the son of God. They got it. They got it. The question is, do you and I get it? Does Jesus stand alone as the only true God we worship? Or do we worship success or sports or celebrities or family or something else alongside? God tells us that he will not compete. He's not going to compete with our puny idols that have to be nailed down so they won't get blown over. And so he illustrates in Mark chapter 9, when the cloud lifts, Jesus alone. And he says, this is my beloved son. Listen to him. Let's pray. Father, we know, we know this is true. But I also know my heart always is looking for things to idolize, to exalt human things to an almost godlike level, or sometimes to dumb you down and make you like one of us. I know how stupid idols are, Father. I know they've got to be fashioned with chains so they don't blow over or get knocked down. And that is not you, Lord. You alone, you alone are God. Help us to make choices this week, this year, 
Help us to be resolved that we will worship you alone and we will bow down to nothing else. You alone will we listen to. Your voice will be heard not as an equal to other voices, but the voice that the Father says, listen to him. We ask that in Jesus' powerful name. Amen. We hope this message was helpful for you. If you're in Haiti, join us on Sunday mornings where English speakers from all backgrounds, missionaries, diplomats, Haitians, expats, come together to worship, to connect, and to have fellowship with one another. You can find more information about our location, our service times, and our Sunday school program for all ages at our website at kiskeachapel.org. Or shoot us an email at chapelq at gmail.com. That's chapelq at gmail.com. Thanks for listening.